Hello pod pals and welcome back to Best Girl Grip. I'm your host Nicole Davis and this is the podcast that navigates the film industry through the lens of the women doing just that. My guest this week is Ritu Cabra, a London-based publicist with over 15 years experience working in-house for renowned media and entertainment companies including the BBC, BBC Studios, UK TV, Discovery Networks and Penguin Random House. During her time at BBC Worldwide, she handled global publicity for the internationally acclaimed Doctor Who and Sherlock, as well as other major BBC dramas including War and Peace, Luther and Wolf Hall. In 2017, she managed the Cannes Film Festival publicity campaign for Jane Campion's Top of the Lake, China Girl. Shortly thereafter, Riti founded her own company, RKPR, where she manages personal publicity for a number of actors and writers, as well as consulting for clients including Amazon Prime, Netflix and Apple TV+, among others. She recently worked as a unit publicist for The Essex Serpent, starring Claire Danes and Tom Hiddleston, and the adaptation of Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. We discuss many things, including how Ritu wound up working in the entertainment industry, where you begin with creating a publicity campaign and defining your audience, what exactly unit publicity is, what goes into creating behind-the-scenes featurettes, such as this one for the Essex Serpent. That is a link, by the way, in the show notes. <laughs> I just realised it doesn't quite work when you're reading an intro. And what sets RKPR apart? Ritu was an incredibly intelligent and incisive guest, and for me, this conversation served as a reminder that there really is a strategy behind publicity and how shows or even people get promoted. It's not just about putting a trailer up on YouTube and hoping for the best. There is real creativity and specificity and ambition when it comes to finding an audience for a film or TV series. This is episode 116 of Best Girl Grip. So where I usually like to start is with higher education. I think that's often where we maybe get a first taste or flavour of what we want to do with our lives, so to speak. So did you go to university? And if so, what did you study there? I went to Oxford University. Oxford is a collegiate system, so I went to New College, which is one of the many colleges at Oxford. And I studied philosophy, politics and economics. So nothing to do with film or, or media. Why were you drawn to PPE? I was always quite academic at school. I was always interested in the arts and history. And I, I actually thought I would probably end up doing an English degree. But then I was, as I was looking at universities and I was looking at courses and, you know, a lot of, a lot of prestigious people in the world, prime ministers, director generals of the BBC, etc., have done this quite broad degree, which I think just landed me in good stead in terms of developing my writing skills my skills in writing skills but also just like learning how to wing it <laughs> but also communication I feel like obviously yeah. a big part of like philosophy and politics is sort of having an idea but knowing how to communicate it to the masses which is obviously what publicity is yeah that's right yeah I mean look for me communication has always been a critical thing you know I I think the written word and you know when you're studying a subject at university getting underneath the skin of a subject and being able to write about it coherently, fluently, succinctly is just one of those crucial life skills, to be honest. So, and that's, I guess, just carried on throughout my career. And speaking of publicity, like at what stage and how did you discover that that was a role and then it might be something that, you know, piqued your interest? I I always wanted to be a journalist. And when I was at university, I wrote for the student paper, music reviews and and stuff, because I was always interested in music was sort of my thing. And I was obsessed with going to watch bands and 
went to quite a lot of club nights and I just really enjoyed listening to and writing about music. I, in my head, I wanted to be this super cool, follow bands around the world music journalist. <laughs> and I was very fortunate that through a friend of a friend, as these things always happen, in, during the, in the summer between the second and my third years at university, I, I got a six-week work experience, unpaid. That's frowned upon now, and rightly so. Unpaid work experience at what was then called XFM. It's now called Radio X, part of the sort of global radio group. And it was it was one of the best six weeks I think I've ever spent in a summer holiday because they I was basically their their general assistant, you know, making teas and coffees for bands that were coming in. And then by the end of it, they were sort of letting me write music reviews and going to gigs and stuff like that. So that was just really exciting. And it was like, can I continue this in an actual real world once I graduate? Hmm. Uh, and then, of course, you graduate and you realise the jobs market is horrendous. And then so you try and find your feet with other things that may be related to the thing that you had in your head initially. So I ended up temping uh, at a PR agency. It, was, it wasn't anything to do with arts and culture. It was, I think it was charity and sort of government affairs and stuff. But I was very taken with the type of work that it was because you're liaising with journalists, you're creating story ideas, you're trying to communicate through the media whatever messages you have for whatever product or brand or campaign you're working on and and it sort of felt like something I could do so from that I I was you know I was there for maybe a month six weeks or whatever I then started looking into other PR agencies that were focused on arts and culture and I did a few bits and pieces of temping and work experience across some of those and I did a, a few weeks at Universal Music in their press department. And so the CV was sort of building with all these bits and pieces, but I hadn't really landed a proper job. And then through a recruitment agency that I was registered with, there was an assistant job, press assistant job, but Discovery Networks that owned the Discovery Channel and that group of channels. So that's how I ended up actually as a in a, pe- a proper paid position in a mm. publicly facing role in an entertainment company yeah yeah. and what was it about I guess yeah entertainment and and broadcast because obviously you've moved slightly away from like music and that initial passion but you've continued on that path so I'm wondering what it is about working in that space that really kind of lit that fire in your belly I guess I think I think just working in in an entertainment space I had to I sort of had to broaden my horizons because jobs in the music industry are few and far between I had been for interviews at record companies and stuff but I think at the end of the day it got to the point where I said right just take a job and then see where that will land you as long as it's something you think you'll enjoy. And I, you know, like everyone else, I watch a lot of TV and I thought, okay, great. Here's an opportunity to learn, to understand the media industry. So yeah, that was the sort of first stepping stone into understanding what publicity looked like in a, in a sort of entertainment setting. You then stepped out into the literary world working at Penguin for a few years. And I'm wondering what you learned from that experience and whether you, whether cutting your teeth, so to speak in books, is something that you still bring to the fore in your job now? Do you know what? As as the more the, the longer my career has gone on, the more you realise the sort of synergy between different realms of entertainment and culture. Quite a lot of the IP that I've worked on, you know, since I left Penguin, have been you know global, uh, multifaceted IPs. So, for example, Doctor Who. There's the TV show, but there are books. There's merchandise. There's podcasts now. It's like brands have many many different levels and many different platforms and actually work having started my career working on in various different areas of arts and entertainment I think has only stood me in good stead to understand how brands and franchises 
develop, um, which was a crucial thing when I worked on global brands at the BBC. You know, for me, a variety of experience was never a bad thing. I know some people think, well, you're just jumping around the place and what you're really learning, but actually you learn a hell of a lot. And book publicity is, I I actually would say that book publicists work harder than TV publicists because, you know, I, I was, you know, when I worked at Penguin, I was working on sometimes debut children's authors. It's very hard to launch a kid's book with an unknown name attached to it and get any sort of traction and you you do a lot of sort of grassroots stuff library library tours and you know school visits and you know like local press and stuff and that stuff feels really important and then when you go and work on the bigger stuff you realize how much you had to work on those smaller things to just generate any sort of publicity whereas when you're working on a big show with big actors and big names attached it's almost the opposite problem. You end up having so much coming your way in terms of we want to speak to this person, we want to speak to that person, that you have to be quite, you have to prioritise and be quite ruthless with how you tackle a campaign. So I'm quite glad that in my career, I've seen sort of both sides of what publicity can look like in terms of really having to look at every opportunity and every angle and getting as much as you can on, you know, on very little. And then big campaigns where there's a million and one things you could do and you've got to try and be strategic about what it is that you do in fact do. And also like I guess having a different definition of success for each campaign and like thinking about most successful for that audience as you say like with the children's book you know they're going to be at the libraries whereas obviously it's a very different audience when you're talking about a big. You know the similarities of books and tv you know books if you, you know, lots of people, if you, for example, if you win a big literary prize, that can really uplift your sales. Likewise, if you win at the Emmys, more people will tune into your show. Then there's just like the general level of press coverage, reviews, you know, books can have really terrible reviews, but still be bestsellers. Likewise with TV. I guess the one thing with books is actual financial sales is obviously crucial. Whereas in TV, you don't have that that metric to be measured against. It's It's about viewing figures, which is a less, a slightly less tangible thing than hard sales but then having said that you know at bbc worldwide i was working on dvd campaigns and that was measured against sales so it all sort of stems from the same you know the objectives are quite often the same you touched on bbc worldwide there and you spent i think six years in their communications team can you talk to me a little bit more about like what you were doing and also just in terms of a broader context of kind of what communication means to you when you're working for a brand because obviously you know we're communicating now we communicate every day but like I think it's obviously got a very different objective when you're doing it on a larger scale so how do you figure out what that objective is all good questions um I think I should probably just like set the scene on what BBC Worldwide was because actually BBC Worldwide doesn't exist anymore it's been sort of subsumed into what is now known as BBC Studios but at the time BBC Worldwide was basically the commercial international wing of the BBC. And its main objective was to generate revenue by selling programmes around the world and selling its related properties, so merchandise, etc. I guess it probably makes sense to start with like the example of Doctor Who. So when I was working on Doctor Who, we wanted to ensure that that show was being shown on channels all around the world to develop audiences around the world. Then there were also the commercial activities like the live events we did. So we did a huge celebration for the Doctor Who 50th anniversary and we did a Doctor Who festival um, when Peter Capaldi was the Doctor, which we did in London and in Sydney. And then there's the toys, the DVDs, all of that. So as well as promoting the Doctor Who brand, you're also then working with the partners in all those relevant areas. So international channels, you know, if, if a channel has just bought 
Doctor Who, they're going to need advice from you as to how they can promote it, what that show is, what what materials and assets they can have to develop their own publicity strategies in their in the territories in which they're showing program and likewise you know a live events partner will also like need us to provide a steer on how best to generate ticket sales for that event so as as the sort of brand leader on the communication side it was our job to sort of juggle all of that stuff but at the same time maintain a through line on what the doctor who brand stood for if that makes sense yeah you're sort of like the mothership and like you know the, the different tributaries can kind of come to you for sort of stewardship and advice yeah so, and that could mean anything from sort of, for example, if you're working with, as I did with Peter Capaldi, we, we would set up like a day where he would do press for all the, all the international territories that had just bought the show. So he could be doing an interview with Mexico one minute, with the USA another minute, and then, and all those partners are getting a bit of time with him. But, but we were the ones in control of that time, if that made sense. Yeah. Because the last thing you want is 50 different people emailing Peter Capaldi asking for interview time. So, and that's, I guess to an extent that feeds into what we called artist relations. And actually there was a separate artist relations manager who I worked with very closely at the BBC who facilitated that stuff for us on those big shows where everyone wants a slice of Peter Capaldi, but we have to organise what that looks like and prioritise what we think is actually going to do the job of selling the show and generate the necessary revenue. Having like accrued so much experience working for really big brands, at what point did you start thinking maybe you wanted to branch out and form your own company and go independent? You know, what was it about those formative experiences that made you think something more tailor-made, you know, could be a good move? I think by the end of the time I had worked at the BBC, I was feeling probably quite burnt out because the volume of work we used to do there, as amazing as it was, it got to the point where I thought, I think maybe I need a slightly different work-life balance. I also had worked on Doctor Who and Sherlock, which was the other big show I used to work on, for sort of five years. I felt like I'd got as much out of working on those shows as I could have. And there wasn't anything else um, that I was that keen to work on. I mean, there's also like things like Top Gear and stuff, but I just felt like I'd, I'd almost got everything out of that job that I could have. Mm-hmm. And there was very little space to sort of move up. Could move, there was there was opportunities to move sideways, but not necessarily up. You know, I've I've seen other friends of mine branch out and do their own thing, and I just thought, you know, maybe I should give it a go. <laughs> because at the end of the day, you can always go back if it doesn't work. <laughs> maybe it. not back to the BBC, but back into an in-house role or back into you know a different position elsewhere. So the sort of seed started churning as to how can I use this experience to create something of my own Mm. by that time I've basically been working in the industry for 15 years and it felt like the right time to try something new and did you sit with that idea and like plan it out and like think about what RKPR the company that you founded in 2017 would look like for a while or did you found the company first and then figure out what it was that you could do or would be best at I think I maybe spent a couple of months before I handed in my notice working out the kinds of things I would like to do and sort of speaking to people I wanted to get on my books. I think what I've where I've ended up, you know, several years later is not dissimilar to the vision I had at the start, uh, which is a good thing. But yes, there comes a point where you just have to take a leap of faith and do it because you can think and think and think and you may never get it done. So yes, you have to actually take the step of doing the admin company administration involved in actually, you know, founding, founding a company. Yeah, I struggle with that. I was like, finding? No, it can't be finding a company. 
establish a company, actually start getting out there and doing the hustle. Speaking of hustle, what did that first year or so look like? You know, what challenges did you face and how did you go about the task of establishing yourself? Well, I I basically started with people I knew because that's always a good place to start. So I knew I wanted to actually develop a roster of personal clients because I'd worked with lots of personal PR agencies in the past and thought, okay, I think there's a gap in the market for someone like me to do this. Took on people that I already knew through personal or professional circumstances. So that sort of started ticking along. And then with the various partners that I'd worked worked with in the past, it was, it was speaking to them and seeing whether they needed a unit publicist, a publicist, an extra pair of hands on a project, anything like that, which then led me to landing a job working on Good Omens, which was actually a, a BBC Studios production for Amazon at the time. And Amazon thought it was a great idea to take me on, I think probably because I'd come from BBC Studios and I also know, knew the team at Amazon. So that was a really great morale booster at the start of the founding of RKPR to have quite a meaty project to mm. get involved with. A lot of it then came from recommendations. So the producer of one of the producers on Good Omens then went on to be the producer of Trying for Apple TV. And he recommend, he gave them my name and then I got a call and then I was on that show, you know, a year or so later. So, so much of it is like just getting on with the job, impressing people and then hoping at some point that, that word of mouth recommendation continues through. I mean, you asked, there's a, there's a question on the list that you sent about the hustle. If I want to work with someone, I will hustle them. Like I will absolutely ask for a meeting with either a production company or a talent agent and try and get clients that I, you know, I'm thinking, yes, I'd really love to work with them. But in reality, actually, a lot of the work just comes through word of mouth. And sometimes it's I sort of look at it and go, do I really want to do that? Mm, And I turn things down. And other times it's like, okay, this sounds interesting. Let's just see what happens. I'm wondering, yeah, because obviously we're talking now about sort of self-publicity and letting the work speak for itself. Is that ideology like the same for when you're promoting a show? Like if the show is good enough, will it speak for itself? Or is publicity much more about, you know, really having to like push something into the world and not just letting the audience find it? That's a really good question and one that is quite complicated because there are so many factors that can go into the success of a show's publicity, some of which you can control, some of which you can't control. Obviously, the things you can control are getting on the phone or getting on your emails and pitching that show to relevant journalists and influencers, hosting a launch party, etc. Those are all things you can control. What you can't control is what a competitor is doing, whether there's another similar show out there, if the main actor in your show is available to do press interviews, because if they're not, and they're the selling point of the show, you you become stuck. And you've got to find alternative ways to promote that show. Social media is also, I mean, when I started 20 years ago, social media didn't exist. Now social media can make or break a show. So if you've got an influential person on Twitter, who absolutely adores your show, that can be a game changer. And it can also break your show <laughs> if someone hates it in a way that the plethora of channels in which you can promote a show is great from a publicist point of view because you've got so many options but on the other hand it's almost become a more open field with people being able to chime in with their opinions back in the day publicity for tv shows involved getting a pick of the day in the radio times or the daily telegraph because that's where people got their information about television shows now they're getting their information from everywhere And so being across everything everywhere and then trying to work out strategically where you're best placed to try and get the messages of your show out there, it can be a real head scrambler. 
I'm not getting any younger and I don't even know how things like TikTok work. So actually stuff like that, <laughs> I'll probably need to find an assistant to help me with that. <laughs> just to get into the more kind of granular aspects of the role, I just love to know like what a day to day looks like, especially now it's your own company. And as you say, you're trying to kind of instate a greater work life balance. How do you conduct your working day? Yeah, so I, this is my office, uh, but it's full of magazines. It's full of press cuttings from my clients and the shows that I've worked on. It's full of lanyards of events I've been to. And it's full of books to remind myself that the written word is still hugely important. One thing I would say is that my working life is now slightly more compressed and arguably more productive but because I have a two and a half year old kid. Back when I first started, I didn't have a child and actually I could be much looser and freer with my day. You know, the parameters of my working day have, you know, much more restricted for childcare. But, I, you know, overall, I essentially work a pretty standard nine to five thirty day with extra things involved like if I need to be on set and that you know shoot goes on slightly later than normal if I have an evening event to attend with a client sometimes if I'm working for an American client and they're based in LA I might have to do a conference call slightly later in the day but you know especially with unit unit publicity I do spend a lot of time on set and those hours can vary you know the show I'm working on at the moment you know the call times are like midday to 11 p.m that's not to say I'm on set all that time for all those hours, but, you know, the adjustments need to be made in my working day to accommodate something sometimes. Well, let's get into that because I'm really fascinated by unit publicity because like, what are you gathering publicity for the campaign later? Like, what is it during that time that you're publicising, given that, you know, the film is obviously still in production, it's still being made. Like, do you really know what it is at that stage? Yeah, well, you don't. A unit job is essentially, so unit publicity, I would say, is you're, you're essentially working on the show while it's in production. And there are a number of things that unit publicists usually have to achieve during the time the show is in production. Firstly, it's photography that's like a crucial thing so it's often my job to appoint a stills photographer and that person is on set quite a lot of the time gathering images of the show mm-hmm. uh, of the show in action then sometimes but not all the time we invite journalists to the set to experience what that show is to interview the actors the director then there's things like production notes so and the press press kit So with the jobs I've done recently, it's my job to provide uh, a pack of notes, which is things like episode descriptions, character descriptions, biographies of all the actors, a production story. So quite often I'll interview the director and a few of the lead actors and the producer and maybe costume and makeup and sort of put together like almost like an essay on what the show is and how it came to fruition and how everyone worked together on the show Mm. um, to give a bit of colour to journalists later down the line who didn't get a chance to experience it on set and then usually again in that in that press kit you interview the lead actors or either either the unit publicist can or a unit publicist can appoint a journalist to interview the lead actors and then those interview transcripts often get provided to the media for their use when the campaign is actually on to launch the show yeah I suppose it's particularly useful because like I don't like nowadays sometimes with the pandemic especially with all the delays like the time between things getting released and getting made could be quite significant so it's sort of good to sort of have this archive of things that were created at the time when everyone's kind of fresh and in the experience it's it's yeah it's a sort of asset gathering process so that you've got materials to promote your show later down the line there's also you know on the shows that i work on recently it's it's my job to manage like a behind you know a behind the scenes shooter so someone that comes to set to gather behind the scenes 
footage that then gets cut into featurettes um, later down the line and, and it depends on the budget of the show the, the the client you're working for as to what all those different assets look like but that is basically the job and then announcing the show is quite often a big part of it releasing a couple of initial images uh, especially you know one of the things when you're filming outdoors or in london is that paparazzi start following around so it's again the job of the unit publicist to almost get ahead of the paps and maybe release a couple of official images so that the press don't start running mm. grainy pap shots that the actors get unhappy with i've actually had to sort of have words with paparazzi on set to get them to leave which is always interesting because they won't um <laughs> and there's not much you can do about it usually but you have to just look fierce any inquiries from the press that come in during the production period just work you know managing them I would just like to say, I don't know if you produced it, but the behind the scenes featurette for the Essex Serpent, Tom Hillison does like a little tour of... That was my doing. Well, that was incredible. I really, really loved it. And again, it's part of my job to, you know, if I, I can't just like make that happen, just it doesn't just happen. It happens because I speak to Tom's agent or publicist. I then speak to Tom about what that set tour looks like and what we're trying to achieve show him examples from other shows so he understands what's going on then i have to find out when i can get access to the sets mm. make sure they're lit make sure i have costume and makeup people on hand so to um, check tom before he starts you know talking on camera actually finding a place in the schedule uh, that tom actually isn't filming <laughs> yeah. um, getting the crew in to we had two cameras a sound guy and basically developing a bit of a script for him so yeah, people watch those featurettes and sort of think that just happens. But the reality is you need all of those things to fall into place to make it happen. Mm. Well, it was a really lovely piece. And I think particularly because The Essex Serpent is such an immersive show to sort of pull yeah. back and see how this kind of imagined sort of gothic landscape has been created was, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of the time actors, A, don't want to make time to do stuff like that because they're focused on the job. Yeah. B, they just don't really like doing that sort of stuff as themselves or they'd rather just spend their, you know, two hours off in their trailer having a nice cup of tea. Well, I'll definitely link to the show notes so people can watch it. But obviously we've just covered kind of one of the many things that RKPR kind of offer as, as part of your services. You know, you do personal publicity for individuals and actors, corporate public relations, as well as management of press junkets. Is that because, you know, is that sort of a tactical move? Because A, it keeps you fresh and doing lots of different things, but then also, you know, you're not always going to have those jobs where you can be on set. So you can sort of be doing other things at the same time. Like why did you decide to sort of cover that breadth in what you do? The like launch events, red carpets and stuff, that's all come from my previous experience at the BBC where I did used to manage large scale press events for things like Doctor Who and Sherlock. And to be honest, I don't do those things that often because quite often bigger agencies get employed by studios to run their big events. But having said that, sometimes people need an extra pair of hands. So, for example, a couple of months ago, I was asked to help on the BAFTA TV Awards red carpet um, and winners press conferences. So because the agency that do that, uh, they needed more hands on deck. So it was great to be asked to do that and great to be there and experience what that is and see how it all works. Mm. And once you're brought on to kind of provide one of these services, let's kind of go back to unit publicity, just because it does seem to kind of form a big part of what you do. Mm. How are you figuring out like the goals of that campaign and, and devising it accordingly? You know, again, coming back to this idea of objectives is every objective just to get as many eyes on this show as possible or is it does it get more granular than that 
with each job, it's all about setting objectives with the client and understanding what the client is wanting to get out of hiring Mm. you. You can do as many things as you want, but if it doesn't fulfill the client's brief, then you've just wasted time. So understanding their objectives and to an extent managing their expectations. You know, if they ask for, I don't know, an A-list actor to do some crazy stunt on set as a piece of publicity, it's my job to basically go back to them and say, you're not going to be able to get this, but here are some other things we can do. You know, on Good Omens, we hosted a lot of press on set, whereas on something like The Essex Serpent, we didn't have any press on set. I mean, COVID was obviously a huge part of hosting journalists as well. So a lot of the work on Essex Serpent was about creating behind the scenes assets like the featurette that you mentioned. For me, it's all about understanding what the client wants and communicating their needs into the production team and making sure that we're ticking off everything that they've asked for, really. But and also, you know, I like to I like to think people hire me because they know I've got my own ideas and my own creativity that I can bring to the mix Mm. you know if I and as as the unit publicist you're the person on set you're the person dealing with the actors and the the producers and you may suddenly have an idea that someone in an office in LA wouldn't have thought of so bringing that into the mix I think is invaluable for for the client as well and talk me through how your your sparking ideas for publicity that is going to stand out or cut through I think a lot of idea generation comes from seeing what other people are doing, comes from seeing, especially in the social media age, you see, you see things go viral and mm. you kind of think, well, why were people engaged with that thing that's gone viral? And it's almost about thinking, and you, you don't want to repeat what someone's done. You've also, you, it's, it's almost a case of thinking, well, what's the, how do we take that thing to the next level? So I get a lot of ideas just by generally looking through Twitter, looking through Instagram, seeing what, I don't know, Stranger Things have done on their latest mm. PR campaign. Looking at successful PR campaigns and sort of digging into the detail of why those campaigns have been successful. And it may be because, you know, Stranger Things is on its fourth season and has been hugely acclaimed around the world. So naturally, the season four premiere is going to go off mm. with a bat. But in another sense, you know, keeping keeping the show fresh after four seasons is also a challenge. So, and they have to up their game as regards the publicity and th- that they do. So yeah, for me, creativity is all about absorbing as much as you can from the landscape you're working in and have you found like particularly in the last year that it's harder to cut through with like the shows that you're working on like the, just the volume like I'm, I'm kind of overwhelmed when I look at all the tv shows that are sort of in my list of things that I want to check out so it wouldn't be surprising to me if you found that sometimes it's just harder to get the message out well I think as, as I said before you know you've got a much bigger array of platforms mm. now that compared to 20 years ago when I first started, where everything was about getting your show or your client on the cover of the Sunday Times culture. That's not to say those channels aren't important anymore, but there are different ways in which to get your message out there and there are, and the, 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 the plethora of, of channels in which you can do that means that you have more opportunity. Having said that, you have to use those channels in the way that they need to be used. So you need to understand those platforms and those networks in which you're sharing information to get the most out of them, to generate the best buzz. And that, again, boils down to knowing who your audience is and what they're going to be interested in. If you're promoting a show that's essentially aimed at 60-year-olds, you're not going to come up with a campaign that's, like, Instagrammable because they're not there. You know, that's just simple and basic. Likewise, if you're working on a show that, like a teen comedy, getting on the front cover of the Sunday Times is probably not that important. So it's so much of it is about understanding the audience and understanding the best channels in which to communicate with that audience. 
and you've got to develop your campaign from there really and we touched on the idea of success earlier but how do you kind of discern if something has has worked you know if it's been a good campaign for both the show but then also for you if you've done a good job to know whether you've done a good job comes from client feedback <laughs> in, in the most basic business sense. If the client doesn't say anything, it probably means you've done okay. <laughs> you have to ask for that feedback sometimes as well to know if you're doing a good job. Quite a lot of the time, people don't even have time for feedback because our industry is so busy right now. I guess for me personally, if I, I always have in my head an idea of what success looks like for any given thing and it, it's it's sort of a more sort of visceral kind of, okay, I've done a good job feeling rather than sort of going through a checklist and ticking off everything that I think I should have done. When I'm presenting work back to a particular client, it's much more formal in the way that you present results. Yes, it's usually about whether you've, whether you've hit the targets that, that you've been set in your original brief from the client you're working for. Mm-mm. And I also want to touch on the fact that um, you do publicity for individuals. How does that work? You know, Because obviously, are you just publicizing them when they're in certain shows? Like, How do you go about navigating that relationship and, and what it is they want publicized and, and making sure they feel comfortable with the publicity that they're doing? So with my personal clients, it's very much about getting to know them, getting to know their priorities, getting to know where they sit on the scale of comfortableness between yes I'm happy to do any and all publicity that you want me to versus I really don't want to do any publicity but I know I need to so I should probably do one or two key things and you're going to tell me what those one or two (laughs) key things are when you're a personal publicist you have to make a personal plan for everyone that you work with there's no room for a one-size-fits-all situation so with every client I will always start by yeah taking them out for lunch working out what their sort of next year looks like. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've got this TV show. Oh, then you're in this play. Oh, and you've just been cast in this. Okay. So what do we think is the sort of publicity plan across all these things that you've got going up? Quite, I mean, sometimes a client is literally, you know, has a part in a play and just wants something around that. Mm-hmm. Other times, and for quite a lot of my clients now, they've got multiple things going on throughout the next 12 months so it's it's working out what the beats of that their personal campaign looks like how we're going to raise their profile across all these different projects what are the correct pieces of publicity along the way you know if they're in a comedy there's certain press you need to do for that if they're in a hard-hitting drama there's different press you need to do around that if they're in a play then you obviously need to target theater press so i basically sit down with my client and then work out what they're looking at for the next 12 months and then guide them as to what I think the best way to promote themselves across that time period and across those projects is the best plan. Yeah, that's so true, because especially if they're a bit allergic to press, like the worst thing in the world would be to sort of, they've just done a publicity tour for one show and then they're like, and you kind of have to do it again for this other thing. And, and you know, the, the, the campaign evolves as time goes on, you know, objectives we may have set at the beginning of the campaign change because we, they may be in a show that we think okay little it's a good show but then it becomes an amazing show and then all of a sudden the demand for that person becomes greater than you thought it would be because that show is just suddenly taken off in a way that we hadn't predicted so for example i have a, a, i work with a wonderful british asian actress called angeli mahindra and she was in a show called bodyguard mm. uh, the dead mercurio show she played the suicide bomber called nadia um who's at the start of the show on the train with richard madden and you know obviously with that show you had richard madden you had keely hawes you had some other big names in it but then and not to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it there's a big twist at the end that involves my client and the day after that 
episode aired, my phone didn't stop ringing because everyone wanted to talk to her. And that's the stuff you can't predict. And then it's about communicating with them, communicating with the BBC that all this stuff is coming in in case there's particular things they they want that person to say or not say and just navigating like you know a barrage of press inquiries and working out who you're going to talk to who you're not going to talk to and what you're going to say to all these people and then i'm wondering if there's a a campaign for a, a tv show or just a project that you've worked on that you're proudest of the project i'm most proud of was the doctor who world tour 2014 i'm not sure if you're aware of this but to launch Peter Capaldi as Doctor Who, we at BBC Worldwide thought it'd be a great and slightly mad idea to do a literal around the world publicity tour, which took us from Cardiff, where the show is made, to London, to Seoul, to Sydney, to New York, to Mexico City, to Rio de Janeiro, and back to London in 12 days. Gosh. And the logistical coordination of that tour. So basically it involved dealing with all the partners in all those countries. So the Korean broadcaster, the US broadcaster, which is BBC America, ABC in Australia, working out what we would do in each of these cities, which basically involved a lot of press interviews plus a fan event and then yeah creating creating a schedule and trying to you know trying to execute it basically whilst at the same time looking after peter his family jenna coleman her family stephen moffat flights hotels cars <laughs> don't get me wrong it wasn't just me you know there was a team of sort of 10 maybe 12 bbc staff that went out there and also just like working out the different the different press in different countries you know you you go to korea and you you get told oh this is korea's biggest breakfast show but you don't you don't really know what it is you've never worked on this on this thing before so and then explaining that to your artists and saying okay well this is korea's breakfast show and this is the host. And, but, you know, you never know. You stick them on the show and you kind of hope for the best. Well, yeah. Like, I think, like, about the vibe of Graham Norton compared to, like, the US, like, late night shows. They're just, they're very different tones. And, like, you kind of do have to be, obviously, you know, you would say to a client, probably be yourself. But you kind of do have to operate in different ways. So. Getting your head around all those things and, and explaining it to your to your cast and getting them on board and getting them happy with it. It's... um. It's quite full on. But that whole project showed that the brand is bigger, that the, the, the Doctor Who brand was bigger than the sum of its parts. So, you know, we did these all these mini press tours in all these different cities, but the sort of bringing it together as a global tour in itself generated like headlines. I remember when we announced the tour, newspapers actually just ran the story that there was a tour, <laughs> a big global press tour for a British TV show that ever existed. At the time we sort of said it, it sounded like an absolutely bonkers idea. But the fact that we did it is something that I know everyone on that tour would be hugely proud of. The amount of effort that went into executing it and the amount of dedication you needed to be on that tour was quite something. But it sounds like it was matched in the reward, hopefully. I think it was. Winding down, I'd just love to know like, what you consider to be the biggest learning curve of your career so far. Oh, I've, been, I've been mulling over this question. <laughs> There are a couple of things. There's don't try and be something you're not, which sounds hugely cliched, but I think a lot of people get so worked up about what other people are doing. Mm. They, they stop focusing on their own skills and their own and what they can offer as themselves. And you shouldn't undervalue that in any way. Part of the reason I started RKPR is because I saw myself as a slightly different type of publicist to the ones I've worked in in the past. And mm. I wanted to be a different option. And that point of difference, I think, is work to my strength 
overall and, and this is that's probably something i've learned over the course of my career is don't walk around with a with a chip on your shoulder when you didn't get a job because people can spot it a mile off go into every job interview like it's the first job interview you've ever done just be enthusiastic mm. i think one of the things i struggled with and i think it was less it was less about enthusiasm and more about confidence levels was when i first when i first started in the industry and doing work experience i used to sit in the corner quite quietly and just watch people and I think sometimes people took that to mean that I wasn't interested in what was going on. And I think I probably lost jobs because of it. People just thought I was disengaged and disinterested when really it was about not wanting to overstep the mark and start talking about stuff that maybe I didn't know about. But actually, <laughs> what I've learned is that those people who just go in there and start saying stuff actually probably do better overall. <laughs> but that's become a, that was a confidence thing. And as I've obviously grown in my career, so has my levels of confidence. So I don't really have a problem speaking up in meetings or anything now mm. where I remember when I was a junior I just I would sit in meetings and not say anything because I was I was genuinely too scared to say the wrong thing but I, I, but I think that was potentially to my detriment because people just thought I didn't care mm-hmm. <laughs> it's finding that balance in relation to our KPR can you name that point of difference what is it you feel like or what is it you do offer or do differently as a publicist I think the way I, particularly with my personal clients, I feel like there are a lot of big agencies that manage actors and not to be pejorative or anything, but, you know, there's a certain type of publicist, especially the ones that manage actors that I, I, I don't, I, I don't feel like I'm cut from that same cloth. You know, for me, when I'm managing a personal client, it will always be about their story as an artist. I think sometimes other agencies will just snap up an actor and offer them the world on a plate without really thinking about who that person is. What is their what is their journey in the media going to look like, and how you're really going to develop their profile in a meaningful way? I always like to think that when I've signed a personal client, I will offer them meaningful publicity. And I think that the type of person I am is reflecting the type of client that I then manage. You know, I'm not the right publicist for every actor out there. I think it's useful for actors to have different options. But I do feel like the options that were on that currently existed in the world when I started RKPR were limited in terms of the personalities of the, the PR companies that were offering those, those services. I like to think I bring a more intelligent storytelling approach to publicity. And then finally, what is a film from a women's director that you love and reservedly think about often return to? I've always been a bit of a Jane Campion fan. I remember watching The Piano when I was a teenager and being unbelievably captivated by that film. Then bought the the, the actual music book to learn the music on the piano. I thought you were going to say the piano. I was like, sorry, what? Yeah, I remember buying the music book and learning all the music from the piano. And then, you know, several years later, when I'm at the BBC, I then get asked to look after Top of the Lake, which is... Jane Campion's miniseries, which we launched at the Cannes Film Festival in 2017. And then all of a sudden I'm hanging out with Jane Campion and looking after her publicity. So I'm not going to lie, there may have been a point after a glass or two of Rosé where I probably fangirled her a little bit. But yeah, she's an incredible, she's an incredible filmmaker. Ritu, thank you so much for coming on Bus Girl Grip. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you today. I've really enjoyed our chat. Thank you for inviting me. I hope anyone listening who is interested in publicity will find it useful. Thank you for listening to this episode of Best Girl Grip. If you liked what you heard, please do rate, review and subscribe, spread the good word, etc. 
I'm on Instagram at bestgirlgrip for pod-related news. If you want to listen to more episodes like this, I recommend digging out my interview with Sam Jolie, who is Head of Marketing and Publicity at Seesaw Films. In the meantime, have a great week, and I'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new episode. (laughs) 